Well, thank you, Andrew and team, and good morning and welcome. Uh, I see a new, few new faces out in the crowd. So my name is Eric. I have the privilege of serving alongside of Pastor Andrew and Chris, and uh, I know you might find this hard to believe if you're new, but that was just the kids' minute. This is the sermon. So I'm um, really glad you joined us here. We've got a text of scripture that I'll be taking us through, and so before we do that, let's pray. Guys, we come to you. We thank you for the power that is in your word. We thank you for the knowledge of your son and the beautiful truths that we're about to open up this morning. I pray that our hearts would be open and that you would speak through me. Your son's name. Amen. Back when the world was a little bit more normal, I took Bart into work. Uh, many of you probably can relate to that experience. And I remember one particular day that I want to tell you about. On this day, I was going in and I knew that I was going to be seeing a very important client. I was very much so just, just a bundle of like just just nerves, right? Like I, I knew that this person was very, very frequently critical of me, and I knew that this was going to be a difficult day. And so the night before, I slept terribly, right? Like you know that. Like up late at night, you're like, oh man, what is going to happen, right? Like what is going to happen here? And, and I just slept terribly, and I woke up early. I woke up really early. I took the earliest train I could catch on BART, the 4.30 train. I was out there, and I'm like, I'm going to get to work, and it's going to be perfect. This person's going to have nothing that they can say against me. It's going to be awesome. And so, so I woke up, and I woke up just a wreck. Like, my, my stomach was churning. Like, my, my stomach was just tense. My shoulders were tight. My neck just felt like this. Like, have you ever felt that before? Just like, it feels like someone's just squeezing it. And I got on the train, and I'm like, no, I'm going to power through this. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do this. And I got on the train, and as I got on the train, I was like, no, I don't have this. I don't have this at all. And I, I'm, I'm like, you know what? I think I might be that person who, like, loses his breakfast on this train. And as we got to the Caldecott Tunnels, I was like, there's no way. So I got off of Rockridge, and I sat on one of those little round benches, and I sat there, and I don't remember exactly what I said, because I wasn't thinking at the time, hey, this will make a great sermon illustration, was not thinking that, but I was a wreck, and I just broke, right? Like, it broke. I was like, what am I doing, God? What is going on? Like, I've made today all about me. I'm the most important person in this whole situation, and I am definitely afraid of losing my job right now. I'm a wreck. Now, why did I tell you that story? I told you that story because usually I tell you a funny story, right? And you're like, I wanted something humorous. That wasn't even remotely humorous. I tell you that because in a couple minutes, you might think Eric doesn't get it. You might think Eric doesn't have any empathy. Eric doesn't understand. Eric doesn't know what it's like, been like to be in this kind of situation. And I just want to say, I don't know your circumstance. I know a lot of you in the room. I know what's going on in your life. But I can say, I've been in the trenches of worry and anxiety, and I can tell you it's nothing I'd want to wish on something else, someone else. Like, it's nothing I'd want for you. It's terrible. Like, we've all been there. There's different moments in our life where we're stuck deep in it, and we're like, God, what do I do? And our passage this morning answers that question. What do we do when we're in moments like that? So, let's, that's really the question we want to answer this morning. Like, what are we going to do when we're anxious? I think the, the Word of God has a great hope for us this morning. Like when we're in those moments and we're like, God, what is going on? There's an answer. And so to find that, we're going to step back to the Sermon on the Mount. We've been working through the series for a while now, and if you've, you're just joining us, obviously all the sermons are online. You're welcome to go back and listen to those. But we're in the sixth chapter towards the end, so we're about halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. 
Jesus has been addressing a very specific group of people about things that are going on that he sees that are true in their life. And he's going, there's a better way. There's something better. There's something better than what's going on. So let's open our Bibles. If you have a paper Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 6 or a digital device. However you get to God's word, open it up to Matthew chapter 6 verse 25. I'll give you just a minute to get there, and we're going to read scripture together. Once you have it, go ahead and stand up with me, and we're going to read the word of God together. All right, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. I'm reading from the ESV, too, just as a note. It says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single span or a single span to his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon... In all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, they seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Go ahead and be seated. So, the first thing as we look at this text is we're going to see Jesus defines anxiety. He gives us some very vivid definitions of what worry and anxiety are. So walk with me together through this text. And we're going to look and see how Jesus defines anxiety. So there's a few things that we can observe about this. The first one is that we look at the passage, and in verse 25, it starts off with, therefore I tell you. And I know as we often are very uh, accustomed to reading through some of the letters of the Bible, we're very used to hearing therefore, because there's kind of an argument that's, that's flowing through the different letters of Scripture. Think about, you know, Corinthians and all the other letters. This... The Sermon on the Mount, there's actually not that many therefores. That's not a very common occurrence inside the text. So when it's there, it's actually fairly noteworthy. And Chris touched on this last week when he was preaching through verses 19 through 24, that 19 through 24 are a key piece of knowledge to understand what's happening here. So the first thing that Jesus is saying by that therefore is that anxiety comes from seeking earthly treasures. Like, we're anxious because we treasure earthly things. Jesus is saying because, verse uh, 21, if you look back at that, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And then verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters, for you're either going to hate one, you're going to love the other, you're going to be devoted to one, you're going to despise the other. So he's going, the things that you treasure, the things that you value, the things that are important to you are going to be the things you worry about. I think you just objectively know this is actually true, right? Like the prime example is this is, is your car, right? Like when my car was brand new, like 13 or 14 years ago, I was worried and concerned about people chipping the paint. I remember the first chip. Oh, it was at church. Nobody left a note. It was like, mm, Lord, 
help me. Uh, you know, like, I remember that. I was worried about people chipping the paint. It was a really nice-looking card, nice blue. Like, it looked very attractive. I, I really liked it. I valued, I treasured that car. And so I was worried about people chipping it. Now it's 14 years old. Like, a week or so ago, I saw a chip or, a, like, a scratch. I was like... Well, there's another one. Like, you know, I, I don't value it in that way anymore. But yeah, I'll tell you, I, I, still, I still am tempted to value it sometimes, right? Because I it, value its function now. It's got like over 150,000 miles on it. And I'm like, that thing could break, right? Like I heard Zach's story of what happened to his vehicle like a week or two ago. And I'm like, oh man, I hope that doesn't happen to my vehicle. Like it's still running. I, I really hope, you know, I'm still, I'm still tempted to value it, but it's just shifted, Right? Like, as we value earthly things, there are these moments where worry, anxiety go, what if? Like, what, what if? Like, what's going to happen? And it comes back to the fact that we're valuing earthly things. The second thing that we, I think we objectively know, and we can see it in our passage too, is that anxiety is impairing. Like, it, it, is physic- it has a physical effect on you. I, I described that in the opening illustration, right? Like, it, it affects, like, your, your, your stomach, like, your body, your just general temperament. Sometimes you can get kind of almost like, almost like a tunnel vision almost. Like, there, there's things that are very strong about anxiety. And so we come to a problem here. So the problem is, I read from the ESV and I noted that, and that wasn't an accident. Because in the ESV it says anxiety... But then if you're reading from the NASB, the NIV, and a few other translations, they'll say worry. And so you're like, well, hold on, what's going on here? Because those are different in English. The trouble is in Greek, they're not. So this is actually one of those weird situations where the word in Greek covers the idea of care, worry, and anxiety. It's all one word. But in English, we parse it out and we have three different things. And I I kind of sat here and played around with it because as you think about the different definitions in casual English, worry tends to be about something very specific, right? Like it's, it's I'm worried someone's going to chip my paint on my car. Anxiety tends to be a little bit more broader spectrum. It tends to be something that, that dominates whole patterns of your life. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about a particular outcome. I'm worried about my job and all the things that can happen over the next week. It's a broader spectrum thing that tends to have physical effects on us, right? And I think you actually see some of that. I read from the ESV intentionally because I think anxiety is a more helpful word insofar as there, there is this repeated whoa-whoa. Whoa, whoa. What do we? What do we? What do we? What do we? That runs through this passage. Like you've been there before, and that's anxiety, right? Like it's a whole bunch of things going, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And so, so Jesus is going, that's the thing that we shouldn't do, and we're going to talk about how to not do that too. And I, I think it's helpful to realize that as we're looking at all of this, we realize that it's it's something that affects our physical body. Like I described that to you. The thing we don't think about quite as much is that it affects our spiritual health and well-being. This word doesn't happen that many times in the New Testament. One of the other times it happened, I ran across it this week in Mark chapter 4. And I was looking at Mark chapter 4. This is the parable of the sowers. You remember that parable. It's, it's the gospel message going out. And there's all these different things that choke out faith. And one of them is the cares Same word. Cares and concerns of this world. Earthly treasures. We often focus in on worry and anxiety being physically detrimental. Jesus underscores the spiritual detriment 
that why this is dangerous to, to your faith and your trust in God. And so it's exceptionally dangerous. So it's impairing. The second thing we see is that it's really blessingless seeking. It's kind of a funny way of wording it, but I'll explain why in a couple minutes. Because I think what Jesus is promising on the other side of this is true blessing. But anxiety is blessingless seeking, right? Like, look back at verse 27 in chapter 6. He asks a very, very hard-hitting question. He says, which of you, but being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Right? That's a hard question. Like, that, that hasn't changed. That's still a hard question to hear. He, he's going, anxiety promises you that you can control the future. You can do it. It can't, though. Jesus is saying it can't. It's, it's just impossible for it to be able to do that. Anxiety is promising something that it can't deliver on. Jesus, on the other hand, is promising it, and he can actually make that happen. He's the creator of the world. We're going to talk about that more in a minute or two. But the, the trouble is, we often feel like it's something to do. We feel like it's an activity that's going to help, that's going to change. Because I, I don't know about you, like, I want blessing, right? Like, I want life to be good. And you do too. Like, I, I don't know every single one of you, but like, if we had a choice between like things being miserable and not good or blessing and satisfaction, we all want blessing and satisfaction. And Jesus is saying it can't deliver. It can't do that for you. And so he gives a diagnostic question that actually, <laughs> the last thing. Yeah, sorry. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, Jesus gives us also just a reminder, too, that anxiety can be about anything, right? Like, I think I've already painted several different pictures of places where it can crop up. But if you look at the text, you might not immediately assume that because you look at it and you might throw an objection at me and you might say, well, hold on. Jesus is just talking about food, clothing, and maybe drink and, like, and then also the duration of your life. But then, then it would be out of step with Philippians 4, 6, right? Don't be anxious about anything. That's in the Bible. So is Jesus teaching something contrary? I don't think he is. Follow the reasoning here. Jesus is speaking to a specific audience of people. He's literally looking at them. He's been living with them. He knows what they're worried about. And, and for us, hearing the example of like food, clothing, that's not a terribly huge deal, but for the original audience, this was a real reality, right? Like, in AD uh, 45 to 47, there was a famine. Like, uh, this is not a hypothetical for them. Like, they're, they're legitimately going, where are we going to get food? These are questions that, that are hard-hitting, and it's not like going into the freezer. They're just going, like, is there enough food for us? These are questions that are on people's minds, they're front and center for them. The second thing, we look at back at Matthew 5.40. Like, they're concerned about their clothing. Jesus has already, this is not the first time Jesus has brought up clothing. Um, Jesus is addressing a specific group of people about a specific issue. The second thing is, he, he uses an argument on them in verse 25 and 26. He says, isn't life more than food and clothes? Rhetorical question, yes, life is more than that. The second thing he says is that God cares more about creation than, than he, he cares more about you than creation. He cares for you. So he's, he's speaking to them and he's going, I care for you. I care for creation. I give them sustenance, food, all the things that are necessary. But I care for you even more than that. 
and I care for you even more than that. So how much more will I care for you? Verse 30, he asks a rhetorical question. He says, but God so clothes the fields of the grass. How much more will he not clothe you, O you of little faith? He's going, I got it. He's drawing a box and he's going, I've got everything that's going on from the basics all the way up to the most sophisticated things, everything in between, I've got you. So Jesus is saying everything that is in your mind right now that you're concerned about, I've got taken care of. Like, just as an illustration, like, think about it. It's the 4th of July. Just think about the things that we get anxious about. Like, any example of this, like, this evening, many of us are going to go watch fireworks. And in Northern California, one of the realities is fog. Like, you, are, you know the reality of fog and 4th of July. For whatever reason, it comes around around this time of year, and it just comes in. And there's nothing you can do about it. And it'll either make the fireworks show really beautiful, and you're like, wow, that was great. Like, it kind of, like, made a nice little ceiling. Or it'll just make this flashing cloud of nothingness that you can't see anything about. And, and what does worry or anxiety do? If you're worried about that, does that make any impact? Does that change anything? No, the, the, the fog's going to come, and it's going to do whatever it does. And Jesus is like, yep, that, that's the picture. And he, he doesn't just leave us there, though. He gives, shows us something better. But first, he gives us a diagnostic test. So he paints a picture, and he says, hey, so creation trusts me. Verse 26. He, he's, he's painting a picture here. He's giving them a diagnostic of, like, what are you? He's going, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you of more value than they? Rhetorical question, the answer is yes, right? Like, you, you objectively know this. You watch the birds. Like, you don't see birds worried or anxious. I, I think I've, my whole life, as I was thinking on this, I'm like, I think I've seen a dead bird like once they manage to find food. I, I don't know how they do it. But, you know, we even have a little adage and saying in our culture, like, early bird gets the worm. Like, they're not lazy. They're not sitting around doing nothing. But God always takes care of them. He's always making sure that they have what they need. And then he gives us another picture in verse 28 and 30. Look back at that. He says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they, they grow. They don't toil or spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not more clothe you of, you of little faith? <laughs> it's, a, it's a very uh, winsome picture of just going, hey, you know, like, look at the flowers. Like, this is, uh, this is a picture of a flower that's out in the planter box. I, I took this like a week or two ago. Um, I was just walking by it, and I was like, oh, that's really pretty. You know, like there, there's just, there's those moments where you're just like, I, and I, I'm not naive. I understand that there's a sprinkler system there and I understand that someone planted that, but there's plenty of plants that are just kind of doing their thing, right? Like they're on the side of the road. Nobody planted them. Nobody's watering them. I didn't take a picture because I shouldn't take pictures while driving. Um, but, you know, there is just this, the, there's something beautiful about that. Like, making a fake, a, a fake plant that looks like that is exceptionally hard, right? And Jesus is going, that's the flowers. And you're of more value than a flower. So aren't I going to take care of you? It's beautiful. Like, he, it's very winsome. Jesus is being very creative here. And then he, he does something. He takes a turn, and he's like, you're either like that, or you're like the Gentiles, 
<laughs> and so as we look at that, verse 31, I think I actually have the wrong verses up there. Sorry about that. Uh, verse 31 and 32, he says, Therefore don't be anxious about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and the Heavenly Father knows that you need them. So he's going... Hey, here's the picture. And he's not trying to make an ethnic statement, just to be clear. Many of us in the room are Gentiles. Uh, We're not Jewish by definition. He's making a statement about their faith. He's saying, you look like people outside the covenant of faith with God. We in casual Christianity, we might use maybe interchangeably the word the world. Like you look like the world is what Jesus is saying here. It's a strong rebuke, right? And he is speaking to a specific audience. He's talking to people and we're listening in. So just bear that in mind. So the question we need to ask is, what about us? He, he's laying it out there and going, here's, what, here's where things are. Here's what it is. And then here's some pictures for you to see it. And it's an introspective question. It's a hard question, right? And for many of us, we need to hear the call to enter into the kingdom because he doesn't just leave them there. He doesn't do them the disservice of going, well, that's too bad. I guess you're just going to have to stop doesn't do that, thankfully, right? We're so glad that he doesn't. He says, enter into the kingdom. There's a better way. There's true blessing. There's true satisfaction found here. And so he's winsomely, like he's engaged in evangelism. He's going, come in. Come in and enjoy the blessing, the care that the creator has for you. Come in and enjoy it. To these people who weren't in the kingdom, it's a very compelling argument. And for us who are in the kingdom, this is a call to return back, to trust in the gracious provision of the Father. It's a call back to return to our first love. And so I'm going to put something up on the screen in the ear and be like, that's really strongly worded, and I will explain that in a minute. But I think the first step, so we need to abandon anxiety. Um, I do not want to convey any more force than what Jesus conveys in this passage. He gives three prohibitions in this passage to not engage in this activity. The first one is a present command. The second one is, in Greek, the strongest prohibition of of doing things. So verse 25 is just a regular old, please do not be, like, do not be anxious. Verse 31 is, may it not never be that you are anxious. And then verse 34 strengthens it again and says, may it not never be that in the future you are anxious. It has grammatically more force to it. And so I think the, the helpfulness of the word and abandon might be from my family. We've been taking walks in the afternoon, and there's been an abandoned car on our street. Do you know what an abandoned car looks like? It has dust on it. it, has spider webs on it. Like it just hasn't gone anywhere. And I want you to make anxiety and, and worry look like that. Just don't come back to it. Be done with it. That's the end of it. Set it behind you. And that's the, the strength of the way Jesus is trying to communicate this. But Jesus isn't like, oh, just don't do that. No, he's giving us a picture of how to do that. He's giving us a picture not only of how, but then also encouraging us along the way. He's showing us there's something so much better than this. He's going, there's, things could be a lot better than this. And I think we instinctively know this. He's going, you won't return back to anxiety, though, when you seek the kingdom. And that's really the key verse here as we look back at the passage. Verse 33 is where we begin to unlock and understand why Jesus is talking about this. 
he's addressing something very specific with them, and he's trying to encourage them. He's not trying to berate them. He's not trying to say, look at how terrible you are. Not at all his point. He's out of compassion showing them there's a better way. There's something so much more satisfying, and anxiety needs to be set aside first. And so we won't come back to it as we seek the kingdom. Now, seeking the kingdom is a phrase and an idea that we've talked a lot about. We've even sang a song about it this morning. It's a, a phrase very common in Christianity. As we think a little bit about it, it's come up multiple times in our time in Sermon on the Mount. It's come up nine times so far in the Sermon on the Mount, or in, in Matthew so far. This idea of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, seeking it, desiring it, wanting it, hungering and thirsting for it. Uh, The last person to talk about it was Nick as he went through the Lord's Prayer or the Kingdom People's Prayer. As we see it uh, in verse 10, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's a desire. It's an earnest longing for God's God's will, all the things that he wants. And it's also just an earnest desiring for for God to do what God is going to do. it's It's a longing to see God act and God work It comes also from the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, verse 6, the fourth beatitude. Verse 6 of chapter 5 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Like it's this longing, it's this desire. It is this strong compulsion to, to want to see what God is going to do. It's a strong desire to see that. Nick's going to talk more about that in a couple weeks as we continue on the Sermon on the Mount. So it's a theme that we're going to continue to develop. But I think it's helpful, at least at this point, to see maybe some modern Christian synonyms that we might say, because I don't think you or I have spoken and been like, are you seeking the kingdom today? That would probably be a useful way of talking. I'm not saying anything against it, but you probably just haven't said it. We might say things like living your life for Christ. Right? Like the, that kind of runs along those same ideas. It's a desire and it's a longing to see God work. It's a purpose in all the decisions in your life. So as we think about that, Jesus is saying as you do this, there are real blessings. There are real benefits. As you join into this activity, there are some really great things that happen. And the first one is you find real care. You find real care. Like, that, that's excellent news to people who are like, I'm going to worry about this. Because what, what do we want in all that worrying anxiety? We want things to get taken care of. Like, we want ourselves to be taken care of. We want the things that are on our mind to be handled in a way that would be good. And God's like, I gotcha. Like, if you seek first the kingdom, I'm going to provide you with the care you're longing for. Look back at verse 32 and then 33, the back half of verse 32. It says, obviously, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things are going to be added to you. And then also the back half of verse 32, sorry. The heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He, he paints a picture of the Father. He begins to bring in God the Father. And he's like, God the Father cares for you. God the Father loves you. He has so much concern for you. He has real genuine care, and he's your creator. He's the person that made you. He knows what's going on, and he is going to take care of you. Isn't that a, that's a beautiful picture, right? Like, that's really super encouraging as we think about that. Like, we might think about it as in Christ, Christianity. Sometimes we use kind of this word care as a little bit of a code word 
from worried and anxious about things. Now, there is a proper place for proper planning. I'm not questioning that. Like, there is a place for proper concern about things. You shouldn't just float through life meaninglessly. But there is an open-handedness. There's a faith. There's a trust that occurs in the Christian life as we trust the Heavenly Father. We go, okay, well, this is what it seems to be I need to work on today. This is what I need to be heading towards. But God, if you come in and change that, then I'm I'm along for the ride. I trust you. I'm going to adapt to what you would have for me. He paints a picture, though, of how the Heavenly Father cares, and it's two ways. The first way is the Father knows you, right? Like he knows and understands who you are. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Right? Like, have you ever handed something off to someone else and you've been like, that person knows what to do? They know what I would do and they would do it. That's really reassuring. You're like, I don't need to touch that. that that's handled, that's taken care of. It's the same picture. The Heavenly Father knows who you are in the, the back half of verse 32. He's reassuring him, he's comforting them and going, The Heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. Like, I, I don't know about you. Are you bad? I'm bad at predicting the future. Hi. I'm bad. You know who's not bad at predicting the future? God. God the Father is not bad. He knows exactly what's coming around the corner, and he's going, I care about you. Like, that's just a huge weight off your shoulder as you think about that. Like, that's extremely comforting. That's very helpful as you think about the fact that the Heavenly Father cares for you. I I think a very broken picture of that. My uh, wife and I, we have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. We took a road trip about a month or two ago. And as we're loading up for little kids, like if you have or had little kids around, you know there's just stuff. Just stuff upon stuff, little tiny versions of big adult things, and stuff upon stuff. And we're packing and packing, and all throughout the packing process, and then as we're on the road trip, not once at any point did my three-year-old go, hey, Dad, Mom, did you, uh, did you pack the sippies? Do you remember getting enough diapers? Like, did you, is, is that cooler? It feels a little light. Are you sure that that's got enough food in it? Uh, and, and the reason why they didn't do that is because they trust their parents, as uh, they get older and become a teenager, they're going to realize their parents aren't perfect and they might not trust us as much. But notwithstanding that objection, your heavenly father, right? He's perfect. He knows exactly what needs to happen. He knows exactly what's coming down the pike. And he's like, I got it. I know. That's good comfort, Christian. That really is. And he's not only saying that he knows, he's going, he values you. Look back at verse 26, the second half. He says, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He's going, you're of much more value than a bird. You're of so much more value. And if if you are a person, you are made in the image of God. You are of supreme value. If you're a Christian, there could be no higher value that you have, right? We know objectively that our value is fixed in the person and work of Christ. We have been bought and purchased by the blood of the Savior, of God. How could, there be any, how could there be any more value that God could assign to us? There couldn't be. There's nothing that God could do more to express his love and care for us. There's nothing he could possibly do. And so God's going, I value you. You're important. I love you. I'm concerned about you. I think often as we, we live our life as Christians, we, we ride the ebbs and flows of things. And when things are bad and earthly treasures are low and, and things aren't going well, we think, God doesn't value me right now. 
And then when things are going well, things are looking up, we're like, oh, God values me. The, the biblical picture is your value is fixed. It is rock solid, and it is defined by what God says is true about you and what he's done for you. It's the greatest news we could ever have. It's going, you're absolutely valued by the Father. So the other thing that we see that happens as a result is that we find real blessing. I kind of talked about how anxiety is blessingless seeking. I think that in the, the activity of seeking first, as you look at this passage, it paints a picture of all the blessings of following after the Father. Some really good things that will happen as we follow the Father. And I think we, we know that. We objectively know that to be true. Look back at verse 33. Like he's, he's talking about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I think we read that sometimes and we feel like that verse is over-promising, right? All these things? Really? I think what actually is over-promising is anxiety and worry. Anxiety and worry over-promise and say, you've got this, I'll give you everything. God the Father who values you, knows you, he's like, I'll take care of it. He's actually capable of delivering on this. So if anyone's capable of of providing real blessing, it's the Father. And the first blessing is that we're in the kingdom. And that seems a little circular, right? Like, seek first the kingdom, then you get the kingdom back, and the kingdom being a part of the kingdom's a blessing. Seems circular almost, but it's actually something Jesus has already said. That fourth beatitude is very important. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who what? They hunger and thirst for righteousness. They desire to seek the kingdom and its righteousness. And then what happens? They're satisfied. So there's a satisfaction in seeking and desiring. And that in and of itself is a blessing. It's good. Uh, Maybe a fallen and slightly broken analogy is when you've had a really good job. You ever had a really good job? Really good manager or person over you and they're like, they give you your space when you need it. They make sure you have all the things you need. They see things coming before they happen, and they're like, oh, coming up soon, this is going to be an issue. And, and, and they're there, and what's the blessing? The blessing is, like, you got a good manager. That's nice. But then the blessing's the job. You show up, and you're like, oh, this is good. Now, I understand that work is cursed, and so a lot of jobs are very broken. Not unaware of that. I've worked many jobs in my life. But at least maybe that could give you a a little bit of a picture into how being in the kingdom is a benefit and a blessing as well. The second thing is his righteousness. If we look at that, we're like, that should kind of prickle our ear a little bit. Like, what does that mean? Verse 33, seek first the kingdom. Okay, I think I understand that. But his righteousness... What does that have to do with anything? It doesn't seem very connected. I think it is. It's one of the blessings of being in the kingdom. It is the objective righteousness that has been given to you by the righteous life of Christ. Like we call that the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Like you are given Christ's righteous record. Christ did everything right. You are high, we didn't. Andrew's cup analogy, very fittingly so. Uh, We receive the righteous record of Christ. It's his righteousness. That's a blessing. That's a huge blessing. That's a huge weight off of our shoulders going, I don't have to be the person who does it all. It's a blessing to receive the righteousness of Christ. This from outside of us, righteousness is what we gain as we enter the kingdom. It's a good news not only of his death, but also his sinless life. 
And it's a byproduct of being brought back into right relationship with the king. Like we're brought back into right relationship with him, and as we experience that, we get to experience the benefit of his righteous record being applied to us. Um, I think just thinking again about the, the righteous, seeking his righteousness, I, I am engaged in the activity of raising small children, and one of the many things you have to do is convince a small child that doing the right thing is not only something I want, but it's good for them. It's hard. It's really hard, right? Like, and I, I, as, as I see that and as I'm trying to do that, I look in the mirror and I'm like, God's trying to teach me the same thing. You know, like the most recent one has been standing on the couch. I'm like, guys, don't stand on the couch. I'm not trying to kill the fun, but it's dangerous. And I don't want to be the person in the emergency room explaining that, yes, my child was jumping on the couch and then they broke X, Y, or Z limb or whatever else happened. Uh, and, and so just trying to paint and encourage them, like, good behavior is good for a reason. And I think sometimes we have to convince ourselves of that, that, like, being obedient to God's rules, he's not trying to kill our fun. He's trying to show us how life was designed to be how life was lived out rightly. As we seek righteousness, there's good benefit in that, right? Like, sometimes it's hard to be convinced of that. That's a reality. But as we do the right thing, there's a benefit in doing the right thing. And the last thing that's a real blessing is everything. (laughs) You know, like, we, we have to deal with this all things at the very end of verse 33. All these things will be added to you, he says. It's a big claim, right? This runs parallel to Romans 8, 28 and 29. You've probably had that maybe floating around the back of your mind. If not, I just suggested it to you, so now it is. Um, but just reading through that passage, like we've got the same things going on. Let me just read through it. He says, and now we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. Same thing, all things. For those who are called according to his purpose, right? They seek first. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. This idea of his righteousness. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And it's that theme of the treasure that we're seeking. We are desiring heaven. It's from last week, verses 19 through 24. We're seeking heavenly treasure. And so there it is. He's going, all things, everything that is necessary for your life to live it out to the glory of God is going to be provided for you. This this phrase, uh, don't be anxious, is actually somewhat humorous too because the next time it shows up in the Gospel of Matthew, it shows up in don't be anxious about what you're going to say in front of earthly rulers as they drag you in front of them and then they... You know, like that's, that's the end. <laughs> that's, that's the next occurrence of this word. So, you know, frame the context here and realize uh, the, the treasure and reward that we're talking about is heavenly reward, right? Like it's not physical stuff necessarily. God cares for all of our physical needs. We all showed up and we're wearing clothes. One of the beautiful things about Christians is we show charity towards one another. But he's trying to point us towards the, the true blessing is heavenly treasure, that's the thing that's coming around the corner that's going to be worth it. The last thing Jesus shows us is that there's real freedom. And this is verse 34, right? Like famous, famous verse. Very encouraging verse. Hard. But therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is going, you've got real freedom. I'm going to give you real freedom 
I think that's one of the things that anxiety promises us. But as I discussed earlier, the reality is what it gives you is impairment. It gives you a, a, a crippling, a, a just kind of a debilitation. That's what anxiety and worry give you. And, and Jesus is going, I'm going to give you real freedom. Tomorrow, it's taken care of. Right? Like, that's a huge weight off of our shoulder. That's incredibly helpful. Like, you think about, and this is just maybe a little bit unkind of me, but, like, think about how most of our anxiety and worry is about stuff in the future. Like, I'm just going to mention broad categories. Right? Like, let's just think through this. Uh, health. Right? Your health. Future of your health. Then, then family. Kids, if you have them. Work. Money. Housing relationships, your possessions, maybe even your pets. All these things occupy our mind in the future and go, I don't know, I think I'm going to worry about that. Like, let's, let's just drill in a little bit, right? Like you got young kids, you're worried about school. Where are they going to go to school? How's the school? You're worried about uh, their, their, their friends, who they're making friends with. You might be tempted to be worried about developmental landmarks. Different things as they go along. If you have adult kids, you're worried about who they're going to choose for a spouse. Job choices, relationship choices, your relationship with them. You're worried about their safety. You're worried about their job. There's this thing about work, right? Like there's a current raging debate on work from home, return to work, hybrid work. Where are you going to land in all of that? Commute time? Is your work going to provide you enough money? Are you going to have enough respect? Are your relationships at work, are they healthy? Are they good? All these different things that wrap up and provide the opportunity to be tempted and anxious. And just think about health for a moment. Like I would challenge you, this Tuesday, the prayer request sheet is going to show up in your mailbox if you're on the mailing list for that, which you should be. Um, It's going to show up. Just try reading through that prayer request sheet without praying. I don't think you can do it. Like, I don't think you can read all the different things that are going on in, in people's lives. You're like, wow, like, God, what, what's going on? What are you going to do? There is, there's just this immediate temptation of like, oh, man. But you know what? The Heavenly Father has it. He cares. He values us. He listens to our prayer. Isn't that good news? That's such good news. There's such real freedom in trusting him and in following him and in seeking his kingdom. There's freedom from tomorrow's anxieties. That's the picture he's painting. He's, he's not painting a picture. It almost sounds like he's saying tomorrow is just sitting over there wringing its hands. Not at all his point. He's going, today there's enough to work on. There's enough things today that need to be addressed. There's enough going on right now. Keep your eyes on the heavenly treasure. Keep your eyes on seeking the kingdom first. It's always funny to me how worry and anxiety never show up and say, I wonder how faithful God's going to be today. Never had it asked that. Never had worry and anxiety be like, how, how good is God going to be today? Oh, he's going to be so good. No, it always says, I don't know. I'm not sure. Has God got this? God's like, don't worry about tomorrow. I have it. I'm a loving creator God. I, I, I care for you. I'm concerned about you. Does that remove all of the problems and trials and hardships? No, not at all. Actually, the biblical picture of that is that refines you. That makes you more and more to the image of Christ. That, that strengthens you. 
Is it hard? Absolutely. Uh, and my opening example is probably one of the less serious things going on in my life. So, you know, just a moment of transparency. Like, I'm very much so aware that there are very real things to, to be anxious and worried about. But as we trust the Heavenly Father, we realize that He holds the future. And there's real freedom in trusting Him and knowing that, that we don't need to fear. That's one of the points here that's been riding throughout this whole message, is there's no need to fear when we trust the Heavenly Father. He's a good, gracious Father. We don't need to be asking the questions that the Gentiles are asking because we know the Father. And knowing him is a, a real and deep pleasure and honor, and it's, it's satisfying, right? Going back to the Beatitudes, it satisfies. So as we look at all that, I think at this point you might be like, and kind of the concluding thought before I wrap up here, um, is that finding freedom by seeking first the kingdom today is really the objective. It's the goal. It, it, it is the driving force of this passage. He's going, keep your eyes on what is necessary right now. Seek first the kingdom. Do that right now. Be concerned about that right now. And tomorrow, I'll take care of it. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There's enough things to take care of today. Today, hopefully, as we leave, you're going to see other people. You're going to see other people, and you will have an opportunity to hopefully and prayerfully fulfill kingdom desires. You're going to talk about what Jesus did. You're going to talk about the things that God's doing in your life. And as we go out, like that's a, that's a huge blessing. It's a huge encouragement to know that we can find freedom in seeking first the kingdom. Um, I think just kind of as a closing thought, one of the things that would be helpful is an objection that might be running through your mind, and you're going, is this a realistic way to live life? Like, is this really possible? Because it's a tall order, right? Jesus is delivering some very hard news. He's going, if you seek the kingdom, I'm going to take care of things. And we're like, I guess. It's challenging, right? The question is, is this a realistic way to live life? And my response to you would be, how long is your life? How long is your life? Is your life 50 years, 100 years? Or is Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 true? Has God set eternity into your heart? Is the true treasure that you're looking forward to, that you're cherishing, eternal treasure? It's heavenly treasure, right? Like that's the good news of the kingdom of God. There's, there's something coming that's so much better there's something coming that's so much more satisfying. And Jesus is going, seek that first. Desire that. Desire to be, to be entering into my presence. Desire that and keep, keep an eternal perspective on our life. And so as we seek first, we do, in many ways, we fulfill the commands and the things that Jesus is talking about in verse 19 through 24. We're not laying up for ourselves treasures here on this earth. We're laying up for ourselves treasures here in, in heaven that are going to last, that are going to be eternal just like us. So with that in mind, let's, let's just kind of wrap everything together into a sentence. What do we do when we're anxious? We need to abandon anxiety. Just set it behind us. Return and don't come back to it. And seek the kingdom, finding real care, real blessing, and real freedom. Um, as we're wrapping up here, I, I want to, I know I said that like four times, but this, I, when I was running through this, it was like an hour, and so I cut it down to 45 minutes, so you should be thankful. Um, but uh, some things that would be helpful. If this sermon resonated with you, first of all, all I did was address Matthew chapter 6. That's it. 
There's tons of other scriptures that talk about the same subject. So one of the things I would commend to you is that Chris did a three-part sermon series on Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 back in 2017. Those would be really beneficial. If this resonated with you, you should go back and listen to those as well. I haven't heard them since he preached them, but I do remember them being helpful. Um, But either way, doing that would be a real benefit for you if this resonated with you. Also, another really beneficial excuse me, a really beneficial habit would just be reading through the Psalms, right? Like these words don't specifically occur that often in the Psalms, but it is the undercurrent of so many of the different prayers that are found in the Psalms. And the Psalms can be really encouraging to you. And so I would encourage you towards that end because there's real hope. There's real freedom. There's real blessing. There's real care and it's found in the Father. So let's pray. God, as we come to you, uh, we are humbled by the words of Christ because without you, we're, we're not capable of these things. Without your spirit working in us, without you bringing us, in, us into your kingdom, these things just aren't possible. And we know that. And so we thank you for the way that you are over all things. You care for us. You value us. You're a good God. Help us to learn to trust you and even as my own heart is, is, is flooded with the things that are on its mind, I pray that, that you would make each one of us uh, just more and more into the image of your son. As your son, even as he, he was here on this earth, he trusted you. So I pray that we would learn to trust you. Grow us. Provide us a greater glimpse of who you are and the great things that you are doing. And I pray that you would bring us to you soon. In your son's name, amen.